When I was nine years old during World War II, I was shipped in a cattle car to a death camp to be exterminated. I wish that good people would have placed their bodies across those train tracks and pleaded for our lives. Yes, church bells were ringing in nearby towns, but Christians were too afraid to take action. That's the voice of 87-year-old Ida Edel, one of several pro-life advocates facing charges from the Justice Department that could land her in federal prison if not dropped. Is the government being weaponized against Americans in a biased way? We're going to discuss that and more today. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. All right, well, before we get really going in our program today, I just have to give a little disclaimer in case our audience can hear the little incessant beeping in the background that sounds like when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and your fire alarm's going off and everybody's running around the house trying to figure out how to turn it off. That is what we are experiencing here today at the Family Foundation in our office. So I would just ask you to ignore it like we're trying to do just in case you're hearing that. So with that said, um, Victoria, I had one funny thing I wanted to ask you about today, and that is that I noticed on your Facebook page that you have a new teen driver. She recently got her license, and I know this is the first one to set this precedent in your household. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on just kind of the blessings and challenges of having a new teenage driver in the home. Yeah, well, we're pretty excited because with four kids, two jobs, having one more person to just do the basic transportation around our house is fantastic. And she happens to be a super busy teenager. So I think in particular, even just her handling her own affairs will be helpful. Um, of course, getting a child to their driver's license can be a little harrowing. Um, she actually is a very good driver, and I feel actually excellent about her being on the road. So that's, I never thought I'd say that actually. What scares me is I've got one coming behind her who I'm horrified at the thought of ever getting behind a wheel, to be honest with you. But um, but I guess, you know, the challenges are that you lose that precious car time um, with your kids. You know, when you take your kids to school, you pick your kids up, yeah. those conversations are really valuable. And so I'm really just trying to think about how to be intentional about not losing too much of that because th those are some of the most – when kids first come out of school, they tell you about their day. They kind of unload. You get their actual emotional state. By the time you talk to them later, it's not the same. Yeah, she seems like a very thoughtful person. I agree she'll be an excellent driver. Now, I did hear you mention that she's already starting to daydream about cross-country trips, so that yeah. might be a, one of the challenges. She thinks that she's ready to just, you know, pick up and go, you know, uh, long trips, whatever. Um, we're not on that same page, but we'll get there. Yeah, we all get on the same wavelength. Yeah. Well, getting into some of our updates today, we have only a few days left to speak up for parental rights in Virginia by providing a public comment in support of Governor Yunkin's revised policies that put parents back in the driver's seat, especially when it comes to how these transgender issues are handled at school. Now, as you can imagine, we have seen everything being unleashed at the governor in opposition and in an effort to pressure him and his staff to back down. However, it has been encouraging to see that he's been standing his ground in different interviews he's been doing. Let's just listen to a clip from one he did recently with CNN. This is not controversial. And I just think the idea that we're going to have policies that exclude parents from their children's lives is something that I have been going to work on since day one. We campaigned on it. 
We empowered parents to make decisions with regards to masking in Virginia. We've empowered parents to make decisions with regards to curriculum that fits their yeah. families' decisions. And we're empowering parents here to be engaged in these most important decisions. Yeah, I actually think the governor did a pretty good job handling these these questions that are clearly set up to sort of trap him or make him look bad. But the idea that it's even controversial that you would have parents involved in the lives of their children and that the school shouldn't be the final say on things, I think that's pretty important. So I, I think we just all need to be ready to comment on those guidelines and, and be positive about our governor stepping forward in this leadership way. Yeah, remember, he's taking a lot of heat on this. So let's step up. Let's back his stance on parental rights. The deadline to comment is midnight, October 26. And an easy way to do that is just go to thefamilyfoundation.org. Look for that public comment banner. And if you click on that, that just gives you immediate access. You'll see the link to the comments uh, where you can go and put your comment right there at the top of the page, as well as tips on what to say. So please share this with friends before that midnight deadline. We just have a few days on that. Well, to move on to another topic, something that's really been disturbing me lately, we have been seeing, as we briefly mentioned last week, this trend of how you put it, Victoria, basically weaponizing the federal government against people who don't toe the woke line or they dare to have a biblical viewpoint on things like sexuality or the sanctity of life. Yeah, I mean, just within this last month, we've been seeing a series of stories really about the FBI using excessive force, especially in particular when it comes to pro-life advocates. Of course, most of our listeners have probably heard about the well-known pro-life author and father of seven, Mark Houck, who got arrested at gunpoint in front of his wife and kids. Yeah, that that was so disturbing, just that they were pounding on the door, demanding to be let in. There was something like 25 FBI agents, you know, there to take this dad into custody. And I saw where I guess his wife was explaining that he was a regular sidewalk counselor at abortion centers in Philadelphia. But apparently there was this incident where an opponent was getting in the face of his 12-year-old son. Sounds like maybe saying some inappropriate things or really crude things. And uh, it looks like he may have tried to shove him away, If I think if, is what the wife was kind of explaining. So we don't really know all the facts. We're just going on news reports, what ha- you know, with what happened right now. But regardless, even if you were going to make a technical argument that he violated a politicized law, do you really need an FBI SWAT team to come take care of that. Yeah, I think this is the problem. This is what we're seeing, and I think people are pretty upset. But this is the outcome you get when you allow the laws of our land, our justice system, to actually become politicized and basically politicized according to ideology, that they're they're acting against a certain ideology. I think people need to wake up and realize that this, if this were some other issue, so, you know, pick some opposite side of the aisle issue, something that's more of a liberal, you know, bash and thing, like a, you know, gun control rally or climate um, change. Yeah, or climate change or any of these other kinds of things. I just would be shocked if you would see the FBI getting involved. It would be handled at the local level. It'd be a totally different. That's really how it typically has been and how it should be. And yet in this case, because it's abortion, it's getting fast tracked and the FBI is involved at the federal level. I mean, I just have to point out the glaring inconsistency we have here, too, when we have had all these pro-life centers that have been vandalized and you know people have come against them. And yet that seems to be ho-hum. Nobody's investigating. I don't know. Maybe somebody's investigating, but nothing has come of it. And yet they're going back a year or two on instances that have happened outside abortion centers. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think when you have conversations with this about other people, you know, even you can concede that, okay, maybe it's possible 
people made rash decisions in the moment or there are mistakes made. But I think we can all acknowledge regardless that it is clear Attorney General Merrick Garland is using the Justice Department as a tool of the pro-abortion movement. I mean, they are clearly targeting multiple pro-life advocates purposely, while, while just as you said, everything else is being ignored. I mean, I think we're missing major warning signs also on legitimate terrorists, you know, that try to murder people. We, we're always seeing these stories on them missing flags. And yet they're, like you said, going back in the past to pick up these pro-life advocates. Yeah, I think the American people want the FBI focused on the things that are most yeah. important and people who are actually dangerous. And we we want to check on the FBI. You know, who's holding them accountable? I, I have seen some letters from some congressmen starting to investigate why are we going after these pro-lifers. So hopefully there'll be sort of this reckoning that balances this back out. Why? You know, I, I just I'm a little shocked that despite all the concern, because there were people on both sides of the aisle that were upset with the specter of the FBI invading a former president's home, they don't seem to feel any um, restraint whatsoever about appearances. It, it, it just feels like they're totally brazen about being a political tool. Well, I mean, they do it because the media carries the narrative and makes them look ridiculous for having a reaction. You know, so I heard a news story this morning where President Trump's team basically said the government's been weaponized against us. So they were reacting. And and the news, the news made it sound like they go, you know, they made this comment without a source as if you need like backup to say when the wef- then when the FBI comes at you unannounced that to get weaponized. documents that it's weaponized. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, they're always trying to discredit even those of us that find yeah. this outrageous. So they give cover. So there's no accountability. Speak up, listeners. Have you voted yet? Voting has already started in Virginia for the midterm elections, which will have major impact on the life, family, and freedom issues that we talk about on this show. Vote today at your registrar's office. Learn more at familyfoundation.org. Just look for the voter information banner. Well, as with so many of these issues, it's easy to assume that these FBI invasions are happening in a far, far away place. But in fact, a Virginia citizen was recently caught up in one of these FBI sweeps, Dennis Green from Cumberland, Virginia. That's right. Dennis was one of these 11 pro-life advocates that were singled out by name in the Department of Justice press release who are facing charges that could lead to prison time. Dennis is one of seven charged with some kind of odd conspiracy charge. Basically, it, it, it technically, he could face up to 11 years in prison and fines up to $250,000. I mean, that is just incredible. Help us understand what kind of justification is being used for these FBI raids, you know, against Mr. Haug and this kind of exorbitant punishment being, you know, held over people like Dennis Green. And let me just mention, just looking at this case involving Dennis Green and the other people, what it looks like happened is that he and the others went to this abortion center in Tennessee that was part of a larger office building. And some of them, I think maybe Dennis and his kids were outside, but there were others that were lining the hallways leading up to the center's entrance. And they were doing things like singing, praying, reading the Bible, um, trying to talk to abortion-minded women as they were um, trying to go into the doors of the of the center. You know, and they're, they're trying to persuade these women out of ending their child's life. Now, it does look like some of them may have been blocking the entrance inside, which I understand can technically violate a federal law on the books. But seriously, does that mean you should go to prison for more than a decade? 
Yeah, I mean, again, the obvious question is, why is this not handled by the local authorities? Why is this being federalized? This should be at the discretion of a, we would in Virginia call them Commonwealth attorney, you know, somebody who actually decides, are they violating the law, and then goes in. What, what, what they're claiming, what's going on here, is they're saying that they could have violated this law, the FACE Act, which stands for Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances. Um, so basically, there's this law that says you can't block the entrance. Um, but the bottom line is, we have a politicized situation here because it's being bumped up to the federal level. Well, I just want to read a a portion of this update I saw on Dennis Green's Facebook page. Um, It says, quote, there has been a new attack on my rights as a U.S. citizen and Christian. I've been given permission to continue my ministry at the abortion clinics in Richmond and Henrico as long as I stayed at least 50 feet away. And uh, then he uh, goes on a little bit and then he says, I have complied Today, Planned Parenthood contacted the feds in Nashville and complained that I was still on the street. I was about 70 feet from their clinic. It was measured. The feds in Nashville contacted my probation officer and gave new instructions that I was not to even travel anywhere east of my county for any reason whatsoever. I am confined to the Western District of Virginia. Even my post office box and bank are outside of that area. What are your thoughts on that, Victoria? Well, I start with this idea that usually you can find people who you think are a danger. And honestly, it's a little weird to me that they're worried that pro-life people are some kind of threat, like dangerous threat. But also, you know, I'm just chewing on and I'd, I'd have to go do the research. But this FACE Act is probably premised on the idea that you have a, quote, right to abortion that they thought yeah. we had under uh, Roe. Good I'm not, I'm not so sure that in a post-Dobbs era that law should stand. And so I'm interested to see if there's some legal challenges. Now, again, I'm, I'm speaking off the cuff. I don't know. But we don't have those kind of specific laws except around constitutional rights. And we now know there is no constitution. Well, we now officially have the court telling us what we knew all along, that there is no constitutional right to an abortion. That is an excellent thought, and I hope it helps these people in their defense. Um, you, you mentioned just how these people are being deemed a threat. They, you know, let's be clear, they were nonviolent. Right. Yeah, you know, and another one of these people that was deemed this big threat was an 87-year-old Holocaust survivor whose voice you heard at the beginning of our program, that's Ida Edel, who has publicly talked about how she was shipped in a cattle car to a death camp at the age of nine and why Christians need to speak up for the sanctity of life. So, you know, that has a way of putting things in perspective. I think that's amazing that you've been through that kind of experience. I, I guarantee you that gives you a level of bravery to to be willing to put yourself out there to protect another human being. I, I, I wish we all could have that kind of courage without that kind of experience, you know. So it's just really amazing. But, you know, it is just... I mean, the the irony here, I mean, I'm just thinking back two years ago to all these street protests that we had with Black Lives Matter and all these people out there. And some of them were actually very violent. Um, Not all of them. Many of them were peaceful. But there were um, vandalism and and firebombs thrown. And I'm sitting here thinking we're not going back to worry about any of that. Where's the FBI on that? Yes, definitely. Definitely at the least inconsistent, if not just flat out hypocritical. You know, I just want to say about this 87-year-old woman, Holocaust survivor, I mean, you can understand the feelings of people with experiences like her who are willing to engage in nonviolent civil disobedience. At the same time, there there are lots of pro-life groups that don't go into the civil disobedience realm. I mean, they're far away from the entrance. You know, so I, I I just want to make that clear that there are different approaches here. But I think what our point is is that these people are being treated in an extreme 
way uh, with with excessive force and threats and it's totally inconsistent it doesn't show neutral justice yeah and i think i I just i just have to sort of wrap this segment up by just simply saying that we do have a law center here if people encounter these kind of just lopsided approaches from law enforcement because of them exercising their their right to speech their their freedom of religion then then maybe hitting up our founding freedoms law center see if we can help with that would be important yeah because they already successfully defended a pro-life mobile clinic where they had police coming up to them and they were I think they were within the law obviously because we won the case on that right? yeah so, so that we you know so we have some experience in this area and um, certainly happy to help people who have have run into this situation well it's that time again Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! You know, we've discussed the cancel culture many times on this show and how it results in ludicrous behavior. And just to throw out one example, some of you may remember the disinformation czar that Biden appointed whose appointment didn't really last very long after this little video came out of her trying to promote censorship by basically imitating Mary Poppins. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine. Or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain. They're laundering disinfo and we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice or vote. Yeah, and that was supposed to be the, quote, disinformation expert. But, you know, that embarrassment wasn't even enough to stop other people, other well-known companies, for example, from using the misinformation label to cancel people they philosophically disagree with. And the latest one, which I think goes to a whole new level, is actually coming from PayPal, who recently unveiled a policy that basically plans to fine users as much as $2,500 who post any messages, content, or materials promoting, quote, misinformation. Yeah, and I'll just throw out there real quick. They quickly backtracked after the the outcry. They're saying it was some kind of error. I, I don't really know how you make that error to put out a policy, but they are saying it was an error that, that they didn't mean to put it out there like that. But it's worth noting that this is the first time, I think, that an online company has publicly put out there imposing an actual fine as opposed to just like a suspension or, you know, um, deleting your post, you know, like we've seen on Twitter. I mean, think about that. You're talking about fining your users thousands of dollars for politically incorrect speech. Like Victoria said, definitely taking it up a notch. Well, I have to think, like, how many people feel the need to still use that company and risk that? I would, I, I would, that would get me out immediately. But also, like, how are they going to exactly, like, I, I don't even know how this would work. How does somebody post misinformation when they're doing a financial transaction? <laughs> now, maybe, I, I got to be honest with you, I actually don't use PayPal because they've been a left-wing company and they were kind of the leaders on this before this was popular this canceling stuff they were always political so I kind of it's not a thing I use but I yeah but I sit there and think aren't we just doing a, a financial transaction yeah because yeah, this original policy that was put out talked about messages and you know content and I'm like so if you're paying for your hair appointment are you putting some kind of message out there or well I'm wondering if it's like you have a pro-life t-shirt and you're yeah, selling exactly. it that's what I'm wondering if it's like somebody's actually going to purchase something that has some some political speech they yeah. don't like I don't know what it would be but I think 
the point here is, and I'm, thank heavens they backtracked, but the point is they were literally going to find people for our, our views, I believe. Right. And that is the bigger picture, that there is this trend toward using economic sanctions to punish unpopular speech. Yeah, well, and let's be clear, that trend is even bigger than this. So let me just mention some other news stories about this financial impact. Uh, I just saw a news story recently that well-respected people, in particular in this case, U.S. Senator Sam Brownback, who is known for his principled stance on religious freedom, recently started an organization called the National Committee for Religious Freedom. And basically, that committee does all sorts of things. It helps candidates that are um, obviously in line with religious freedom, and, and they do some policy things. But basically, they had their bank account canceled, so to speak, or in specifically closed, closed, closed yeah. by Chase Bank. Yeah, if, if we're not going to send the FBI agents to your home, I guess we can close your bank account. I mean, it really is kind of getting scary out there. Well, we saw this started with the truckers, if you remember the Canadian truckers, and That's we right. saw it happen elsewhere, but now here it is in our country, and we knew it was coming. Um, and Chase Bank, I guess, wants to lead the way. I, I feel a little disturbed that people are just, I feel like it's quiet. Like, people are just kind of... Taking it? Sitting yeah, down? Yeah, taking it. Yeah, it's, I'm very concerned. Maybe some people don't realize this is happening. So to be fair, getting everybody in the loop that, wow, this has now started. But we've got to be aggressive in defending our, our right for political speech, for religious speech. Um, and this is a pretty well-known person doing something that is in his line of work. I mean, he was the ambassador for U.S. religious freedom for crying out loud. And he started a political entity. Yeah. And they're not going to let him he, have a bank account. He is not really seen as political. No. Um, yeah. I guess the good news here is that PayPal did back down with the public outcry. So we can protect our freedoms, people, when we speak together. So let's keep up the courage. But in the meantime, today's Inconceivable Award is obviously going to PayPal and Chase Bank. Um, but it's kind of hard to laugh about it because it is so frightening. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.